0: Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you have been with us the last few weeks, you know that we are in a series on the book of Hebrews. Uh, We started this series, uh, this is now the fourth installment in that, and we have been calling this series Anchored because. I really believe that God has given us the book of Hebrews to remind us of our need to anchor ourselves to the rock of our salvation. This world in which we live, the, the, the climate of our soul, is not one that remains steady, but there actually is a current that wants to push us away from Christ. And if we do not anchor ourselves to Him, we'll find ourselves drifting away from Him. Um, and so we have been unpacking over the last several weeks what it looks like to anchor ourselves to Christ, and we've... Um seen passages of encouragement and passages of great challenge, and we're going to look this morning at a passage that I think is both challenging and encouraging uh, from Hebrews chapter four verses twelve to sixteen. So uh, that's where we're headed shortly. but before we get to hebrews four twelve to sixteen I, I wanted to to tell you guys a little bit of a story uh, from my life. I, I know if you've heard me speak before, it's shocking that I would do this at the beginning of the message. But I um, want to just tell you a little bit about uh, something that's happening this summer. This summer, uh, Kimberly, my wife and I, will be celebrating our 16th wedding anniversary. Um, and that was a... Uh, hey, thanks, Matt Fry. I appreciate that. Um, and... Uh, uh, but it, it, was a, it was a great event 16 years ago when we got married. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you're married, the memories that you have of your wedding day, I certainly have very vivid memories of our wedding day. Uh, and of that that ceremony, you know, some of the things that I remember very clearly um, was the first time I saw Kimberly. We we didn't see each other before the the ceremony, and there was an offset aisle, so I couldn't get a clear shot. But uh, she walked in at the back of the church, and just for a split second before everybody stood up, I could see her, and then I couldn't see her. I'm on my tiptoes, wishing I was six four, I'm five ten, and I couldn't see her all the way down the aisle. And then when she turned that corner again, when I when I saw her standing there. Um, I just will I'll forever remember um, that, that look. I remember singing the, the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Uh, we, we sang that congregationally. We didn't have words in front of us, and we thought we knew the song. We, apparently, we only knew the first verse because in the second verse, we were like mumbling to each other. I'm glad we're facing forward and not towards the congregation. But, um, you know, it was just this, this great moment. But one of the other things that I remember very clearly about our wedding, was uh, we had a friend of ours who shared in the um, in, in the service. His name was Bill Bolt, and he was the um, leader of Campus Crusade at OU at the time. And, and Bill uh, got up to share some words with us, and I remember so many of the things Bill said, but one of the things he said that, it's stuck in my mind, and i 've remembered it, and i 've thought about it and you know if i 've officiated your wedding there's some of you in this room that've officiated your wedding you 've probably heard me say this, and so here 's the footnote annotation to where this comment comes from um, but but what Bill said to us was he said, You know we all know Mark and Kimberly to be good people i thought man that that 's really nice. Uh, we know you know if you, your your wedding and your funeral are the two times that people say nice things about you um you only get to hear one of them and and there it was for us he said we know that that mark and kimberly are good people and and that is from thinking that's that's that is that is really great he says but we also know that they are christians but we call them christians not because they're good because no one could ever be good enough for a holy god we call them christians because they have embraced by faith that jesus's death on the cross was sufficient to pay for all of their sins, that they might have a new life in Him. Such powerful words. Um, They impacted me that day. I thought, at our wedding, I thought, that is the clearest depiction of the gospel right there. Our hope for eternity is not found in how good we are because no one could ever be good enough for a holy God. But our hope is found in Him and what He has done. Um, And I've thought about that. You know, that that truth, if you're a believer in Christ here today, uh, like me, there was a point in the past when that truth really crystallized for you. There was a point in the past where you realized that your only hope for eternity was the death of Christ for you, and you embraced that in faith, and that was a significant moment in your past. Um, But you know what? Uh, the reality is for us as believers in Christ, uh, that truth was not just true of us in the past, but it's true of us in the present. As we sit here today, I look out at a bunch of good people. Um, there, I said it. It wasn't even your wedding or your funeral. Um, but I know you. I, I love you. You are good people. It, but, and we also know as we gather here in the church, we are Christian people. But we are not Christian because we are good, because none of us is good enough for a holy God. But we call ourselves Christians because we are embracing the fact that Christ's death on the cross is sufficient to pay the penalty for all of our sins, and He offers us a new life in Him. That central message, which is true and we embraced in the past, which is true and we need to cling to today, is the central subject of the entirety of Scripture and also the central subject of our passage we're going to look at this morning. If you've got a Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. I think these verses in Hebrews 4 are a great challenge to us today And also a great encouragement to us today as we think about the fact that even though we may be good Christian people, we're not Christian because we're good. We're Christian because of what Christ has done. I want to read these verses for us from chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. Then I want to back up and look at them a little more in depth as we're going to see three things from these verses today. Uh, Let's read them first. Hebrews chapter four, beginning in verse twelve, it says, "For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account." Since then, we have a great High Priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now in these few verses, I think we're going to see three things today that help encourage us. As we live out our, our Christian lives clinging to Him. The first one we're going to see is this. We need to recognize our vulnerability. We need to recognize our vulnerability. We need to recognize that we are not good enough for a holy God. And, and the instrument which God uses to let us know that is His Word. Look at what it says in verses 12 and 13. Specifically in verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's a very vivid description of God's Word. and It's the description of a Word that is coming in judgment. See, earlier, last week in chapter 4, the first 11 verses, we saw that God's Word comes to us as a word of promise, that if we embrace it, we get to enter His rest. But in verse 12, God's Word comes not as a word of promise, but as a word of judgment. It comes as a sword that can pierce all the way to the core of who we are. It says that this this Word that comes to us is living and active. This means that God's Word is not some old, static, out-of-date, Standard from a bygone era, but it's something that is very relevant to our lives, and it 's something that we cannot find a loophole to get out of. It is living and active it's it's right around us, we cannot avoid it, and it's relevant to our very lives. This word that we cannot get around is also something that is not merely interested in just kind of pricking us in our flesh, but it's interested in cutting deep and exposing who we really are. It says that it's cutting all the way. To the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow. It can't get any deeper than that. God's Word is not intended to just prick our flesh. It's intended to cut all the way to who we are. And you know what? This ought to be somewhat convicting and and terrifying to us. Because if God's Word only dealt with the surface, if God's Word only dealt with, with our externals, then we might be able to manage that. You know, we're actually pretty good at managing our externals. Not perfect, but pretty good. You know, if if all there was about me was what you saw, then you would think I was better than I was. But the reality is there's stuff going on behind the the outer veil, the external that you see that is, is not always pretty. There's selfishness and there's sin. There's things that I don't want you to know about. There's things that I want to hide. But when we read God's Word, He doesn't say that His Word is given to us to merely convict the things that other people see. It's meant to challenge us on the things that only God sees, and God sees it all. And so it says that God's Word is like a double-edged sword that cuts all the way to the core of who we are, exposing who we are in our thoughts, in our intentions, in our actions before Him. And like I said, that, that ought to be somewhat terrifying to us. Because there's things that I don't want you to see, and yet God's already seen them. There's things that you don't want me to see, or the person around you, and yet God has already seen them. There's things that we think have been kept hidden. There's things that we've only thought but never acted on. And those things we hope nobody ever knows about. God has seen them all, and His His Spirit is cutting through and exposing that. When we read God's Word, there ought to be levels of conviction that go beyond just the surface, but go all the way to the core of who we are, and that ought to be terrifying because it leaves us exposed and vulnerable. You know, if if it was just about our externals, we might be thinking that we're doing okay. Let me give you some few examples that might be um, convicting for you this morning. They certainly are for me. I Think think of it in terms of if, if you're married. I'm going to speak to the men for a minute. Um. God has called us to live a holy life, not just when our wife is around, not just when our boss is around, but He's called us to live a life of holiness 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, 366 in leap year. He's called us to that level of holiness. Let me ask you this. Is your life a life that is marked by holiness, not just when your wife is around, but when she's not? I mean, for some of us, our wife has become the Holy Spirit. If she doesn't know, God doesn't know. It's not true. God sees it all. Let me say this about the ladies. Let me talk to you all for a minute. Um, God has called us to 24-7 holiness, 365, 366 in leap year. He's called us to that level of holiness. That means that he has called you to holiness not just when the makeup's on, not just when you're out in the community, but when you're at home, and the attitudes you have with those that you live with. He's called you to holiness not just when you're standing in front of the person that you're talking about. He's called you to holiness all the time. See, when you think of the level that God has called us to in His Word, what, what ought to happen when we read His Word is we should never read His Word and go, oh man, I've got that. That is totally easy. I can knock that out of the park. I absolutely can do all of this stuff. See, when that is our understanding of Scripture, we've got a surface-level understanding of Scripture. The reality is that God's Word goes all the way to the core. God's not just interested in our externals, but He's interested in our internals as well. And when we realize that, when we come to grips with that, when we come to grips with the fact that God sees it all, we're left not in a place of strength, we're left in a place of vulnerability. Look at what it says in verse 13. No creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. See, when we know that God knows everything and he, all the way to the very core of who we are, when we experience conviction like that, we feel naked and vulnerable and exposed. What happened to Adam and Eve when they first sinned? They wanted to cover up. They wanted to hide. If our sin is exposed, we, we want to cover that up and we want to hide. If we were going to show a video later on of everything you've thought about this week and every sin you've done just this month, how many of you would show up to that showing who would you not want to attend? The reality is that we're vulnerable when we know that we're known that well. This is why I don't like to go to the pool. I don't like to be exposed. Um, I, I like to be covered typically in things that are kind of baggy. Um, so I don't like to go to the swimming pool. Uh, maybe some of you that you're joking, you're, you're chuckling, is because you feel like I do. Hopefully you're not imagining something else about me right now. Think about this. We, we, are, we are feeling vulnerable and exposed. When we do that, we want to cover up. God's Word cuts to the very core of who we are, and it leaves us in a place of great need. That's what the Bible means when it says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not just some past truth, it's a present reality. It's the fact that we are vulnerable and exposed to God. He sees it all, He knows it all, and it leaves us very vulnerable. Um, When we we ponder that and we think about that, as we gather here today, uh, it ought to make us want to run and cover up with something. But what do we cover up with? Well, that's what the great promise is. This passage. See, God's word leaves us exposed and naked and in a need. But verse 14 ushers us to the place where that need can be met in a massive way. You know, when I was uh, reading this passage, even in my study preparation for today, And I've read these verses many times. I I many times separate verses 12 and 13 from 14 to 16. The reason why I do that is is very simple and very spiritual. It's because my Bible has a little boldface heading between them. Uh, Does your Bible have a little boldface between there? Uh, Mine does. It says between verse 13 and verse 14, Jesus the great high priest. That's a helpful tool for me to find things. But you know what? Those headlines were added later. They weren't a part of the original text. Uh, God intended verse 14 to follow verse 13 with no bold face heading. And so what happens in verse 14 is is directly related to what happens in verse 13. And in verse 13, we're, we're vulnerable and we're exposed and we're in need, and verse 14 comes and brings the provision. We're looking for a covering in verse 13. God provides it in verse 14. If you feel vulnerable this morning in light of our sin, in light of being convicted by God's Word, Verse 14 provides our solution and our answer. And it tells us that we need to cling to our compassionate Christ. Cling to our compassionate Christ. Look at what it says in verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. In light of the fact that we are in need, in light of the fact that we are sinful, in light of the fact that we are convicted and we are left vulnerable and exposed, looking for something to cover us, the author of Hebrews turns and says, we have someone who wants to cover us. We have someone who wants to provide for us. We have someone who wants to represent us in the very throne room of God. And that person is our great high priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He desires to cover us and to provide for us in our vulnerability and in our need. See, Jesus is the high priest. The high priest in the Old Testament time was the one who would go as the representative before God's people, and he would go before God and he would offer sacrifices, um, for the people's sin, and he would one day a year walk into this holy of holy places, this shadow of a worship experience on this earth, and he would walk into that place and he would represent the people of God and say that we have hope for God because God will one day cover our sins. That was the role of the high priest. He represented the people in offering sacrifice for them. But see, we have a high priest who is greater than that. Our high priest, Jesus, says... Come with me, and I will stand before God with you. I will be your representative before God, and I will offer sacrifice for your sin that doesn't just cover it temporarily, but will cover it permanently, not through ongoing sacrifices, but through one sacrifice that was offered on a cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus says, I will make full payment for your sins, and I will then ask you to come with me into the very presence of God, not into an earthly temple, it's a shadow of a worship experience, but I'm going to invite you to go with me through the heavens, it says in verse 14, to the very presence of God. Jesus has offered for us to go with him through the heavens. This means that he's offering us a connection with God that is out of this world. He says, come with me into the very presence of God. Clinging to this confession. What this is telling us is that our hope for having our nakedness of our sin covered, our hope for entering into God's presence, our hope for eternal life, just as the hope for eternal life is for those who are on these boards. Our hope for eternal life is found clinging to Christ, not because we are good enough, because we are not good enough. No one could ever be good enough for a holy God. But our hope is in clinging to Christ, that he would take us through the heavens into the very presence of God. Is that a truth that you've embraced at some point in your life? Even more so, is that a truth that you're embracing this morning? Are you clinging to your confession of Christ this morning? Let me tell you a story that maybe will illustrate some of the opportunity we have in Christ. 1992, I graduated from high school, and this is actually a 20-year reunion. Next weekend, we've got our 20-year high school reunion. Um, but there, there's an interesting thing happened my senior year in high school. Uh, we were playing in a, a state tournament basketball game, and, and after the game was over, uh, a friend of mine um, invited me and a couple other friends to go with him and his dad to Kansas City to see the finals of the Big 8 basketball tournament. This was back when the, the Big 8 tournament was going on. Well, that, that, was, that was really fun. Um, but uh, it, was, it was really possible because my friend... Uh, his dad was the CEO of Phillips at the time, and Phillips was the corporate sponsor for the Big Eight tournament, and so he had these seats right in the middle of the court, like five rows up. Well, you don't just, you know, think about those tickets. You say yes and figure out how you're going to get there, but he had, a, he had it all figured out. He said, after the game's over, we're going to go out, and we're going to get in this car, and it's going to take us to the airport, and we're going to get on the plane, and we're going to go. So after the game was over, we, we go out, and there's a, there's a limo waiting for us. Doors open, we, we hop inside. Um, my friend, three others, and his dad. We, we drive to the airport, and instead of having to get out and go through security and take off your shoes and all that kind of stuff, um, the, the limo drives right out on the runway, and they pull the door down, and we walk onto the plane. They had asked us what we wanted to drink, and those drinks were already laying out on the, on the plane waiting for us with some snacks and different things. The plane takes off. Thirty minutes later, it lands in Kansas City, the uh, door of the plane comes down, there's a limo waiting right there at the bottom of the plane. We go down the, the stairs, we, we hop in the back of the limo, we drive to the hotel, we, we have a great night stand at the hotel, we go to the game the next day, limo drives us right up to the door, we go in, we get to enjoy all this stuff. I tell you all this not to you think, wow, what a wonderful, charmed life I've lived, it, it was really nice. Um, but I tell you this for this reason, I did not get to experience the Big 8 tournament in 1992 because I was so good. I got to experience that because I was with someone who was. And Mr. Silas was kind enough to include a few others of us in that that trip. You know, when you think about what it means to relate to Christ, we have a high priest who is good enough. He, He lived a perfect life. He He is everything of the embodiment of righteousness. He's the Son of God, and he says merely to us, Hey, cling to me, grab on, come with me, and I will take you where you could not go otherwise, all the way to the very throne room of God. This morning, if you have not ever embraced that gift, there is no better time than today to cling to Him who wants to bring you to the very presence of God. Verse 15 gives us a great addition to that hope. After talking about Jesus who wants to, to clothe us with His righteousness, who wants to take us to the very throne room of God, we're reminded that Jesus is one who also can relate to us He's somebody that's not just some distant and aloof Savior. He's someone who has experienced things we've experienced so that we can have a real relationship with Him. Verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The idea here is that Jesus, in his earthly life, experienced what it was to be human, to be born, to die. Uh, To be tempted, Satan tempted him. It doesn't mean that everything that you've experienced, he's experienced, but every category that you've experienced, he's experienced. Satan tempted him in every way possible, and yet Jesus remains strong. Uh, You've experienced loss of a loved one. He's experienced loss of a loved one. You've experienced fatigue and and tired and being misunderstood and, and, and pushing forward. He's experienced those same things. Jesus experienced life as we did, therefore, he is someone that we can relate to, but here's what's really critical. Not only did he experience it, but he triumphed in it, which makes him someone who can offer great help. If Jesus had been tempted as we are and still had sinned, what, what good is that? But Jesus was tempted as we are, yet without sin, therefore, he can offer help to us in time of need. It made me think of uh experience I had when I was living in Russia uh, one summer uh, many years ago. Uh, we were there doing ministry, and we would go from the center of town where we lived to the outskirts of town where the university was, and we had to take a bus out there every day, and we would minister, and then we'd come back in the evening. One day, we were out there talking to some students about uh, the Lord, and, and we, went, we were out there a little longer than normal, and there was about three guys that were left out at the campus at the end of the day, and we needed to find our way back to campus. Well, our normal bus that we took back to campus had already left, and so we were stuck on the other side of town. We had to find our way back, and this was complicated by the fact that we didn't speak any Russian. And so we're trying to find our way back. And so we're waiting for the buses to come, and this gentleman walks up, and we begin a conversation with him. Um, And we're thinking, hey, he's waiting for a bus. He seems friendly. Maybe he can help us get where we need to go. And so we start trying to ask him questions, and he's talking to us, and we don't understand what he's saying, and he doesn't understand what we're saying. And we talk, and he gets louder, but at least we've got somebody with us. We felt like there was safety in numbers. And the bus comes, and he looks at us, and we look at him, and he gets on, so we get on. We get on the bus and we're still trying to to deal with this this, this Russian-English dictionary and we're asking questions. Well, it was about halfway to the destination where the bus was going that we realized that this man didn't speak Russian, he spoke German. He'd been speaking German, we'd been speaking English, neither of us spoke Russian and neither of us had any idea where we were going. You know, there was some comfort in not being the only international person lost in the city. But it wasn't all that helpful. When we got off, we still had to find another way home. Uh, You know, I, I I tell you that because we can go to Christ, we can relate to Him, and not only has He lived the human experience, but He lived it and He triumphed. Not only can Jesus be someone that we can relate to knowing that He understands what it means to have lived our lives, but we know that He can show us the way out the other side. See, because of this, we have a high priest that we can celebrate. We have a high priest that we can run to. We have a high priest that we can cling to. Because not only does he take us close, but he takes us close while relating to us as one who understands. Are you clinging to him today? You feel like he couldn't understand. He does. And he can take you there. First thing, we need to recognize that we're vulnerable. Second thing, we need to cling to our compassionate Christ. But the third thing we see is that we need to pray for his provision. Pray for his provision. Verse 16. After talking about our high priest who brings us close and who understands what we go through, he says in verse 16, Let us then with confidence. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What an incredible statement and what great hope for those of us who are vulnerable. We have a God who invites us, not just occasionally to heaven, but invites us there regularly. We have a God who invites us into His presence regularly because He wants to give us good things. I think it's so amazing that His throne is called a throne of grace. The word grace is another word for gift, an undeserved gift. The very place, that the authority that Jesus has, He wants to wield in order to give us things that we don't deserve. not that awesome? We have a God who invites us in, who invites us to bring our needs, who invites us to bring our anxiety into his presence, who invites us to bring the things that we struggle with, and he wants to, in turn, give us provision that would help in our time of need. It's an incredibly, incredibly powerful thing to think about. You know, we stop praying in our Christian lives many times because we forget that. You know, we, we stop praying sometimes because we're somewhat self-sufficient. We feel like, you know what, I should have this whole thing figured out, therefore I don't need to bring anything before God. He, what He wants for me is to perform fully, and I'm, I, until I get that together, I'm not going to go before Him. You know, our first couple of verses we saw today blow that idea completely out of the water. We are all vulnerable and in need. We should never not pray because we feel the need to be self-sufficient. That's prideful and it's unrealistic the God who knows us in the depth of our need and still invites us close and invites us to bring our request to Him. Not because we are so good, because none of us could be good enough, but He invites us to bring those needs because we have one representing us, a great high priest who has brought us there. See, another reason why we don't pray is not just because we're self-sufficient. Sometimes we don't pray because we don't think that we have the right words to say. We think that there's some magic formula of prayer. Uh, this is why sometimes we want somebody else to pray for us, because we think they're better with words. Maybe they could say it in a way that God understands, that somehow they're a translator for us. But this is counter to the notion that God understands all that we are. The, the Word of God actually tells us that the Spirit intercedes with us in utterances too deep for words. When we can't verbalize our need, The Spirit of God fills in the gaps so that God fully understands everything that's going on in us. And the God who understands everything that's going on in us wants us to bring our needs before Him. He wants to answer those things. Sometimes we don't pray because we're self-sufficient. Sometimes we don't pray because we don't know the words to say. Sometimes we don't pray because we think our lives just aren't that significant. We think, I'm not going to bring that before God. He's got a whole world to run, much less this little detail in my life. And yet, the God who... Who has the whole world to run, invites you personally into his very presence to sit at his throne of grace and to make your requests known to him. Sometimes we don't pray because we feel like he doesn't hear, we feel like he doesn't want us there. But this verse lets us know that God wants us there, not on the basis of how good we are, because none of us are good enough. But he invites us there. Because Jesus has brought us. And he wants to answer our requests in time of need. If you're a believer in Christ, then you believe that God has given you mercy and grace to cover your sin. It doesn't get any bigger than that. If God can cover that, God can certainly provide grace and mercy for the things that you're dealing with. And this verse encourages us in light of our great high priest to bring those requests before him that he would answer us in this day, our time of need. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up right now. And as they come up, um, I want to set up a little bit the song that we're getting ready to sing. Uh, We're going to sing this morning in the close of our service The song, Before the Throne of God Above. Um, This song talks about the great high priest, Jesus, whose name is love, who stands before God to make intercession for us. And uh, here's what I want you to do. Um, We're going to be singing. We're going to be standing. But as we sing and as we stand, what I want you to do is I want you to begin to apply the truth that we just heard. Even as the music begins to play, I want you to imagine that, that we are clinging to Christ and He is ushering us into the very throne room of God. And as we sing about things like temptation in the song and, and about need, I want you to think about the fact that Jesus is offering to help us through our temptation. He's offering to provide for our needs if we just lay out those requests before Him. And so as we stand and as we sing this great song together, let's, let's join Him. Through the heavens, and let our requests be made known. Please stand.